You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the stillness this morning and just the quietness. And um, I thank you again for these guys and the chance to be with them. We ask you to, uh, by your spirit, challenge, quicken, speak to our hearts this morning as we uh, walk through the truth in your word. Uh, I pray, God, you would, I ask you to lead me as I, with these guys, grow and process through um, this opportunity of prayer that sometimes seems like a mystery. And so I just pray, God, you would guide my words, um, help me to put into, um, help me to speak clearly what you've been challenging me in my own heart. And as I share that with these guys, um, I pray that you would um, sharpen them, encourage them, challenge them. And so we look forward to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so real, really quick in this, last week's motivations and expectations of prayer, Matthew 6, 5 through 8, there's just a couple more things that Jesus, um, in the Matthew and Luke passage we kept looking at, I was just trying to cover the different examples Jesus gives. So in Matthew 6, uh, 5 and 6 first, Jesus says this when he's right before, Matthew records this account right before he actually begins to say pray in this way. So in verse 5 he says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so the, the point, point number two in that outline from last week is prayer is not intended to be this public competition, it's intended to be a private connection with God. Uh, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that other than to say, I don't know if you feel sometimes that, um, that pressure when you pray in public to say like spiritual words or to say, if you've ever been asked, hey, can you open us in prayer for this event? And you feel this pressure of like, well, I don't want to sound stupid. I, I, don't, I mean, even though I'm not talking about you may not necessarily feel like what Jesus is addressing. I think I'm going to write this big, incredibly um, wordy prayer so everyone will think I'm really spiritual. But there is that pressure sometimes to go, um, we laugh about in seminary, we would laugh at folks that that talked different, like their tone was different. Like, like, guys, we're just going to start this time with prayer. Father, like, what just happened there? Like, what did you put on? This praying voice. Uh, back before I was really a committed Christian and I was in seminary, we used to count, we used to count the repetitive things someone would say in a prayer. And I know that sounds hateful, but there's something about praying in public that makes you forget the fact that this is not about what I'm saying to you. It's what I'm talking, I'm just talking to God. And if you notice I think what intrigued the disciples, what they, that's what they saw Jesus doing. He wasn't like, let us pray, and he gathered them. He just, they were like, what's he doing? Father, 
I'm saying this out loud so that, you know, they'll begin to kind of grasp this relationship we have. But he's talking to his father. And so prayer is meant to be not this public uh, display, this public competition. So that's honestly, on a side note, why I, I just, I don't like public prayer. I don't like invocations. I, they're pointless to me. Why would I? I mean, I know sometimes, I don't know what we, we think when we think, can you pray for this event? I'm like, why would I? We battle over that sometimes that we can't pray before a football game, but I'm like, how is that even helpful? Because most of the time we're praying for things that are frivolous, like help us win, <laughs> give us favor, uh, help us beat the other team or whatever we're praying. But in other words, if it's this joining together of like hearts that it is in the context of the church, that's different. But we're in a stadium of people who may be filled with people who could care less or know anything about God. I'm not saying it's not a chance to share the gospel, but I'm like, it's just me praying in a bunch in front of a, a group of people. For what reason do they need that? If they feel like we need to invite God to be in this thing, that's peculiar because his presence is in us. Anyway, so I'm getting off on the soapbox when I told you we weren't gonna talk about it. That's point number two. Pick up in seven and eight, Jesus says... And he, he kind of gives another example. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Well, don't be like them, and I love this phrase, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And that was kind of a reference last week when we kept saying, it doesn't mean I can't keep bringing my concern before God, okay? The scripture never talks about it. You don't need to, I mean, do you ask once? I don't know. I think you can keep, you keep bringing that concern before your father who loves you because it's a concern of your heart. But if you think that by continual repetition of the same thing or um, that there's some kind of prayer, I can't think of the right word, incantation, like, if you just say this, like, this is the thing that will kind of move things into, pro like, prayer is some kind of religious ritual or activity, which is what your notes say, you're misunderstanding prayer. Again, it's not a religious ritual or activity, it's a relational interaction with God, with the Father. And so Jesus said, at times you, you see these Gentiles as if they are paying penance of some kind before a God, with meaningless repetition. And it made me think about, you remember the story, in, and I may not get the right, so help me if I don't remember which prophet it was. Is it, is it Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Is that back? Remember when they kind of square off and they're like, pray to your God. Then I'm gonna pray to my God and they wet the altar, remember and God. Remember what they were doing? They were like, ah, blah, blah, blah. They were kind of this repetitive, ritualistic over and crying out to God and then Elijah kind of makes fun of them like, he says, literally, is he indisposed? Is he on the pot? That's the phrase. <laughs> he must be indisposed. And then with one prayer, he asks God to show himself. And he comes in and sucks up the water, burns up the... And so uh, Jesus is saying, remember what prayer is. It is not this religious ritual or activity that spurs God into action. It's not this formula it's, it's, a, it's a connection with God. It's interaction. It's conversation. And so those are the last two points from uh, last week. And so Jesus, again, he's speaking to the motivations of our heart in prayer and expectations 
remember as you pray, keep these things in mind about what prayer is, okay? All right, well, let's dive into this morning. And again, we've we're, we're we got a lot to cover this morning, and I'll just kind of warn you ahead of time. There's a lot of scripture we'll go through, and I'll do the best. I mean, you may be able to find it faster than I am because I'm doing the same thing you are. I'm gonna go through it. I don't have them in my notes other than the, the references. If you want to try to keep up, great. If you wanna sometimes just listen to the scripture, but I, I can't necessarily wait for us all to get there because we won't make it through these notes this morning. But I, there, it's important that we walk through all of this scripture this morning because we're gonna talk about this reality of the question that's at the top of your notes. Why do prayers go unanswered? Why do prayers go unanswered? Um, and so I want us to walk through, there's not just one answer to that question, there's several, there's four we're gonna talk about this morning. So I want you to walk through those, but I want us to begin to build a understanding of <clears throat> this reality of unanswered prayer. Now you may be thinking when I, when you hear the question, why do prayers go unanswered, you may be going, Jay, well, I don't believe any prayers are unanswered. I think they're all answered. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes God says wait, and I'm like, okay, I know, I know that, I'm giving you that. So let, me, so let me clarify, what we're gonna talk about this morning is when God says no. When you or I present a request before God and he does not grant it, it is a no, it's no, it's not, I mean, we may not hear no, but we know it's not gonna happen. Granted, there are those times that it's timing. It may, it may not happen now, but later. But I'm specifically talking about why do prayers go unanswered? Why do requests go ungranted? There are reasons we pray for things and they are not granted. And so that's the focus of what we're gonna look at this morning. So as we dive into this question, I wanna start really with a preliminary question, uh, which is this preliminary thought at the beginning of your notes, why, why do we struggle with this question in the first place? In other words, why do we make the assumption that God should or has promised or given us the impression that he will answer all our requests? Because that's what we feel like. I mean, behind this question of why do, God, why do prayers go unanswered sometimes is because didn't God say he would answer our request? Um, and I, said, I put this in your notes. Why do we struggle with this? Really because of the seemingly, and that's a key word, of the seemingly sweeping and audacious claims of scripture. We don't get that out of nowhere. When you read the scripture, you begin to get this impression that prayers, there's, there never needs to be an unanswered prayer. Uh, Philip Yancey, who, is, who writes, has, has a good book on prayer, that I'm not quite gonna recommend because I'm not all the way through it and there's, so there may be some things that are questionable so I don't wanna go, hey, I recommended this book and you go, wow. <laughs> but he is a challenging author. He's completely transparent and he works through his own struggles with prayer. But listen to this quote, I love this, regarding this idea of why we sometimes feel like, well, I thought Jesus said that anything you ask, it will be given. He says this, I wish Jesus had said something like this. I'm bestowing the gift of prayer to you. You must realize, of course, that humans cannot have perfect wisdom, so there are limits as to whether your prayers will be answered. Prayer operates like a suggestion box. Spell out your request clearly to God, and I guarantee that all requests will be carefully considered. 
Like if Jesus had said it that way, we'd have went, oh, okay, now I see it clearly. But see, that's not how it was, right? So let's walk through why sometimes we feel like prayer is a mystery is because it seems, and that's a key word, it seems like the scriptures say something else. So turn to Matthew 21 or listen to Matthew 21, 22. We're gonna read this passage out of Mark and I mean, out of Matthew and Mark. But this is this context, this peculiar time when Jesus is walking through the countryside, he comes upon a fig tree and it has no fruit. Uh, it has no fruit that's born. And so in verse 20, he says, seeing this, and what he does is he basically curses the tree and it withers up and dies. Pretty significant event they're watching. Seeing this in verse 20, the disciples were amazed, obviously, and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. Verse 22, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Pretty significant statement. This same passage over in Mark chapter 11, it's really the same story just kind of uh, referenced by Mark, but I'm gonna read the same scriptures. Verse 23 of Mark chapter 11 says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what God, that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, verse 24, all things for which you pray and ask, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you, okay? Look at John chapter 14. But what you begin to see is, again, these are these different authors' accounts of that story and event. But again, what I'm, Hopefully, we've taught, you hear us talk about this a lot. What I'm teaching you to do is say, remember, one verse can't stand alone in Scripture. It's the verse in the context of the chapter, in the context of that book, in the context of that testament. So the Scripture interprets Scripture, okay? So we're building the reality of what Scripture is saying and clarifying so that we get the bigger picture. John chapter 14 Beginning in verse 12, Jesus talks again about this reality of asking and receiving. And so in verse 12 of chapter 14 in John, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, this is a significant statement, the works I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do. Just stopping on that and thinking about what Jesus said. You'll do greater things than I have done. That's baffling, okay? Um, And then he says, um, because I go to the Father, verse 13, whatever you ask, now he has clarifications, in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So now you begin to see this clarification or It's framed in the context of ask anything you want believing, but it's in my name. 
Chapter 15, just right probably on the same page, verse 7. Jesus is talking about he's the vine, we're the branches, that we need to abide in him, stay in him, remain in him. And so in verse 7 he says, if you abide in me, in my words, abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So he prefaces it this time. If you're connected to me as the vine and my words are planted in your heart, ask whatever you want in my name and you receive it. And go all the way to 1 John if you want to, if you don't want to follow along. I mean, you just listen. If you go to Revelation, hang a left. 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, 22 through 24. Listen to how John says this again. Beloved, in 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In whatever we ask, we receive from him clarification because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And so when you begin to see this reality of does the scripture really teach that we can, ask, we can ask God anything? We talked about that last week. He's your father. You bring every concern, every need, every burden boldly and unashamedly before him. But does the scripture teach, is Jesus teaching, that he and he will grant your every request? Of course it doesn't teach that. Of course it doesn't teach that. This in my name, according to my will, if you abide in me, if you keep my commandments, it is this framing or clarification that if I live a life aligned with the heart, the character, and the purposes of God, every request I ask will be granted because everything I ask for will be in line with the heart, character, and purposes of God. Uh, And so... This first reality is important because when you consider this mystery of unanswered prayer, and, and the, the, again, you've got to start with the reality that the scripture never teaches you can ask God for anything and he will grant it. It just doesn't teach that. And in fact, it's very specific about the context of understanding and praying and, and, and understanding the heart and character purpose, the will of God. And so again, you're gonna see at the end of this this time this morning, remember it's all about relationship. When we think prayer is about getting things done, God keeps bringing us back to the fact that although he responds to our request, that what he's after is the shaping and forming of our heart to the character of Jesus, even in our prayer. And so, um, we're kind of dipping into the first answer to this question. Answer number one to this question, why do prayers go unanswered? Because they're inconsistent with God's heart, character, and purposes. We ask things that are not centered upon the things of God. And so that's, God says no. He doesn't answer that, that request. He doesn't grant that request. Now, there's some scripture passages under each of these, and I'll hit some of these, but not all of them because we don't have time. But I'll give you some examples of requests that the, you know, the disciples made that are not going to be answered. Uh, they don't really know what they're asking. Plus, you're going to see it the, the last verse in Mark 16. It's going to be clarified, this, this point we're making is they're missing the point. They're focused on the wrong things. But in Matthew 20, it's that story of, um, Matthew 20, 22, it's that story of who's going to sit at your right. And actually, the mother of, 
of the sons of Zebedee, um, James and John, that, that she comes to them and says, I want my sons, you know, I want them to have the best position, the best place. But it's interesting in verse 21, she comes to Jesus and he said to her, what do you wish? What would you like? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Translation, you're asking the wrong thing. But he goes on to say, you know, he asked, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said, my cup shall... My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right hand and my left, this is, my, this is not mine to give. In other words, he's saying, you're not, this is not going to happen. I don't even make that decision. And so, look at my, uh, Matthew 16, another passage where Peter asks, has a request. Really, he's making a statement, but really is a request of his wish about the purpose of God. And so, in Matthew 16... Um, Jesus, it's, it's interesting, it's right after his confession. In 13 through 20, it's just, this is that famous deal when who do people say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, you didn't figure this out on your own. It, it's, it's God at work in you, this amazing moment. And then you go down to verse 21 and Jesus begins to say, I, my life will be taken. So it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He's saying, Lord, I don't, this is not going to happen. I don't want this to happen. This is not how it's going to go. And really, he's making a plea and a request. And it's interesting. He turned, the Lord turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You were a stumbling block to me. Now listen to this last phrase. For you were not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. And so the reality is, Sometimes our prayers aren't answered because the requests we're making are set upon the interest of man, not the interest of God. They're inconsistent with the heart, character, and purposes of God. Now, isn't that the reality that we struggle with, right? Where does that line meet? Where, where, where do my intentions and God in, God's intentions, where is the line I don't know where the fine line is. I can tell you, obviously, in the larger things, what God's purposes are revealed in the scripture. But like when you bring a request and you go, I don't know, do I want this or does God want me to want this? I don't know how to know the difference. And so let me just give you a couple of realities to consider. Well, this first one, please give me grace that if I say it wrongly, you're not offended. Because I mean, I wrestled with how to say it right. Sometimes we ask God to, we ask a request that is inconsistent with what God has purposed to be our common reality. Sometimes he intervenes in those, that's called a miracle. But I'm giving you an example. For instance, the prayers that you might have or I might have that actually are prayers, quote, to suspend the natural laws God has set into motion. Like, God, just stop the bad weather today so we can have this event. Okay, he might miraculously step in, but the odds are probably not going to be that. That's not as, that's, without going, well, don't you believe God in the miraculous? Yeah, but I, 
And what I'm saying is, he set in motion parameters of, of natural law. For instance, if my leg is damaged and it gets amputated, the odds that I pray that God will grow my leg back are probably pretty slim. Could he grow my leg back? I think he could. Is he going to? I don't think so. So sometimes I set myself up to challenge God to actually circumvent the rules of order and, and, and reality, even, even the impact of sin in this world, I'm asking him to circumvent that. And most of the time, he doesn't. There are times he steps in and does a miracle which is above the ordinary order that he has set in motion. Another reality sometimes when we pray for people, we don't know that we're doing this, but I might pray something like for my kids or someone, like, God, just, just get, intervene in their heart and somehow just keep them from doing this or make them make a right choice. And what I'm asking God to do is actually circumvent the reality of human freedom and choice. That, he, that he's the one that brought that in at the beginning of the garden. You can do everything you want, but if you choose, he set freedom in the middle of the garden. And so I'm just trying to encourage you to say, if you're praying for God to violate the freedom or the will or the choice of another person, that's probably not gonna be a prayer that's answered. Doesn't mean God's not gonna work in their heart. So if you're saying it that way, but if you're like going, God, I just want you to intervene and actually Keep them from being able to do this thing. Well, it, you, you get to frustrate yourself because the reality is every person has the choice to say yes to God, to choose life, or to not. God has set that reality into the context of this world. And so sometimes our prayers go unanswered simply because they are inconsistent with the heart, the character, or the purposes of God. Answer number two, sometimes our prayers go unanswered because sin has broken my fellowship with God. And, and so if you want to turn to Psalm 66, we're going we're to kind of press into it there. I want to I take a second to describe this reality of fellowship with God. Because how many of, just, just ask, you've heard of this phrase, well, you're out of fellowship with God. How many of you have heard that before, right? Heard people say that. All right. I want to just talk about that for a second because it can be misunderstood like I've often misunderstood it throughout the course of my life. When I say sin has broken my fellowship with God, you may get this picture, you may kind of get this picture, maybe you don't. This is kind of how I've felt it over the years. Well, I'm out of fellowship with God. What does that look like? If this is me, this is God. We're not good right now. You hack me off and you hurt my feelings. So we're, I'm not talking to you right now. We kind of like, if I'm out of fellowship with Dean, which happens very often, if I'm out of fellowship with Dean, he's hurt my feelings, which happens. If you've been around Dean, he can hurt your feelings, right? When I come up to Dean, I'm a little sensitive. I'm defensive. I don't really want to talk to him. I don't make eye contact. I'm like, and suddenly Dean's like, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. Well, you hurt my feelings the other day when you said something funny about me being a redneck, me being a little bit overweight. And we kind of have this picture of sin makes God upset with us. And so we're out of fellowship with him so he doesn't listen to us. He's mad at us. And so somehow we gotta pay a little penance till he cools his jets and then we can come close to him again. Have you ever thought about that that way? Okay, 
And so the danger, and why I want to clarify this is, sin does ne- sin never, ever, ever, if you have placed your trust in the work of Jesus, God never, ever looks at you that way. I mean, the truth of scripture is he never sees you that way. He sees the righteousness of Christ when he sees you. Does it mean that he tolerates or condones sin? No, he doesn't. But sin is never a relational barrier between you and God, ever. It's never like that. So when I mean because sin has broken my fellowship with God, I don't mean from God's perspective, he's mad at you. I'm saying this because when we read these verses, it may sound like it's going, I'm not listening. He's not saying, I'm not listening. He's saying, I'm not attending to these needs what I want you to do is attend to your heart. So sin affects my ability actually to listen and align my life with the purposes of God. It's, it's what it does to me in my relationship with God. It makes me out of connection and out of fellowship with God. It's not God breaking or pushing away or keeping me at a distance. Is that, I beat that horse sufficiently? Okay. And so in Psalm 66, 18, um, Actually, 16 through 18. This is, I love this passage. It says, come and hear all who fear God. I will tell you of what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. Then he says in verse 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his loving kindness from me. And so that that passage just brings to surface this reality. Sometimes prayers go unanswered, unattended. I bring this request to God and, and it's not that he's ignoring my request, it's that he is attending to something else that actually is my greatest need, which is my heart, my character. And so I had this statement in your notes. God cares more about who I am becoming than what I am experiencing. God cares more about who you and I are becoming than what we are experiencing. Because again, what he's at work to do is to grow and shape and mold the character of Jesus in our hearts. And so sometimes my prayers go unattended because when I come to God with sin and when I'm harboring sin in my heart, It's almost like if I bring this to him, his focus is not attentive to there, it's attentive to the brokenness in my heart. That's what he's focusing on. He's not listening to my prayer request. He's saying, you need to face the brokenness in your heart, face the sin that you're harboring in your heart. Does that make sense? So sometimes it's a good question to ask if you feel like you're praying in inconsistency with God's will, but you're, you're going, what, what, why does it seem like God is not moving in this? Sometimes it's good to say, is there something God's wanting me to attend to in my heart? Again, it's not extortion. It's not spiritual extortion where God is up there going, I'm gonna hold what I have until you do what I want. I, again, no. He's saying your greatest need right now is not even this request, it's that your heart be free. Um, again, Ephesians 4.13 talks about this overarching goal that we might be mature men built up into the fullness and stature of Christ. And so he, he looks, he doesn't attend to my request sometimes because sin 
has interrupted or broken my fellowship with God. Go to answer number three. Sometimes prayers go unanswered because of my lack of concern for the needs of others. This is gonna be a significant reality for you in your life, in my life. And you may have heard bits of this over the years when, when people are talking about relationships, but God places his value on our right relationships with other people, even when he says, I will attend to your needs as long as you're sensitive to the needs of others. This is a significant reality in understanding prayer. But what I want to do is kind of, you've heard of the, the, the concept of concentric circles like that me and that your, your relationship kind of closer and then farther out, these concentric circles of relationship. And really I kind of want to look at some passages that do that. The, the needs of who first, who second, who next, but I want you to see it this way. So First Peter, First Peter um, chapter three, is this passage that you've probably heard about that's talking about our prayers in relation or it are affected by our relationships with our wives. And if I'm not in right relationship with my wife, it affects, it hinders my prayer. So in 1 Peter 3, 8, it says, or 7, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, not weaker, more tender, more sensitive, more vulnerable, more fragile, since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace, uh, the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So the reality is if my relationship with my wife, the closest ones in my life are broken, it hinders And I want to say it this way, it hinders my ability to see and know the will of God in my life, but also it hinders my ability for my prayers to be attended to by God. Again, he's saying, you're, you're concerned about your needs, yet you're so unconcerned about the impact of your life to those who are closest to you. So he talks about that close circle, but then look at, um, Proverbs 21.13, or listen to Proverbs 21.13. Then he begins to talk about this reality of social justice and concern, which, is, which is, gets a little more personal. In verse, 20, or verse 13 of Proverbs 21, it says, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. That if, if I begin to be so self-centered in my life that my needs become prominent, but I'm completely oblivious to the, the needs of the broken and needy right around me, again, God will withhold my needs. He will not tend to my needs because the true reality is my greatest need is my heart needs to be aware and attentive to the needs of those he's put in my life. The needs of the brokenhearted. Um, look at Isaiah. Isaiah 1 is, a, boys, this is a significant word, a verse or passage. Isaiah 1, 15 through 17 begins to talk about this broader reality of my lack of concern, my inattentiveness to the realities of injustice in this world. Verse 15 of chapter 1 in Isaiah says, So when you spread your hands out in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Wow. Yes, even though you multiply your prayers, you can just say it over and over and over. I'm not going to tend. 
I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to reply. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Listen to these phrases. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And so God begins to connect the the sensitivity of my heart to the realities of those who were taken advantage of in injustice, who were ignored, who were persecuted. And and in essence, he's saying, if if I have become hard and indifferent to the obvious and serious needs of of broken people, God will not listen. He won't attend to my request. That's, that's just a reality. So again, the goal in this is not to see what check boxes do I need to check to make sure I get what I want? Well, I need to, am I concerned about the, okay, you're missing the point if you're going, again, he cares more about who I'm becoming than what I'm experiencing. And so sometimes, I, I don't know this to be true, because, but sometimes I think God, God knows that what we need and he says, I will meet your need. And that, that he sets this reality that we bring our needs before him, but his greater purpose is he just wants us to come to him. The needs in his mind are significant or insignificant. I mean, he, he knows what we need, but to him, they're quite, you know, the reality is they're not as significant to him as they already was. But the whole point is that he is the source of our needs so that we keep coming to him. And when we come to him, what he's doing is he's growing and shaping and challenging our character. Because who we're becoming is more significant than what we're experiencing. Even though we come to him because we think what we're experiencing is more significant, his focus is always on, where's your heart? Where's your heart with your relationships? With your wife? With your kids? What about your heart for the broken? Can you walk by and drive by injustice and be untouched? So how would you come to me and ask me to be so intimately attentive to your needs when you're so oblivious to the needs of others. Isn't that inconsistent? It's what he's challenging us in our heart. Again, he's not going, I'm gonna manipulate you by holding your need hostage until you do what I want. No, he's saying your greatest need is that your heart would begin to be driven by love and mercy. And so again, you see prayer beginning to be less about getting what we want and getting things done. It's always centered upon relationship. It's coming to the Father that he would change us and grow us and equip us and burden us, empower us, and oh, by the way, meet the needs that we have in our lives. So answer number three, because of my lack of concern for the needs of others. Answer number four, the last one we'll look at is, Sometimes my prayers go unanswered because his will and purpose are more important in my life than my own. This is the one we have the hardest time with. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. Look at a couple of passages and I want to hopefully give you a challenging way to look at even Jesus wrestle with this reality of when when it comes to the point where my will or my desire bumps up against the, the will and purpose of God for my life, what do I do in those moments? But, but here's an example of 
basically a no from God, from Paul. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, this, this passage alone would be worth spending about six months in. But in verse seven, Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Man, those are powerful. There was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Again, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this promise, I implored, I begged, I pleaded the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, no, I mean, inferred, no, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Then Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul, at that moment, heard the no, realized, God, you're saying there is a greater purpose you're at work in me for And so he relinquished, he entrusted, he surrendered to that purpose. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, distresses, persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so Paul gets this no and the clash is because the will and purpose of God in these moments of Paul's life were more important than his own desire for that to be relieved. His own, his picture of how the story should go was less important than God's picture of how the story was gonna go. But look at, turn to Matthew 26, and, and I want to, as you're going there, I'm gonna read a different passage out of Hebrews. I want you to see how significant this realization is maybe for maybe it isn't for you maybe it is for me because what we're going to look at is even the fact that Jesus heard no from the father you go how could that be he was Jesus but if you think about Hebrews um, Hebrews chapter uh, 2 3 through 10 it's this whole description of the reality of Jesus being our high priest, but, but he describes him that he, he was a high priest that wasn't disconnected from our experience. And, and, and kind of the summary of the story or the, that teaching in Hebrews is that everything, and, and this would be hard to grasp, but it's the truth in scripture. Everything you have experienced and felt, Jesus has walked in and yet been without sin but sometimes you can feel like, well, that would, well, of course, that was Jesus. Like he, like he, he like an inside track. But Hebrews is saying, no, he didn't. Um, and so listen to verses nine and 10. And, um, for it was fitting, verse 10, for whom all things and through him all are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all 
from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to many brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. He's quoting passages. And, it's, and again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. And listen to this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he... Jesus himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He's saying that's the reason Jesus had to come in the flesh and to be sinless. His substitutionary death, it was essential that it be a person, although God in the flesh, that's why his humanity was important in the sacrifice of sin. Someone had to, experience that yet be sinless to be the sinless sacrifice. So that's what he's saying in that verse. Um, Actually skip down to verse 17 and 18. So therefore he had to be made like his brethren, like us in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, what I just mentioned. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now that long kind of, what am I saying? So now when you know that, this is fully what Jesus is experiencing in in what we're gonna read in Matthew chapter 26. He is experiencing the frustration, not sin, but the the burden, the, 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 uh, uh, I'm not, say confusion and, and without being sounding heretical, that we experience at times when we go, God, why? Why is this not your will? Why wouldn't this be your will? I've been begging and pleading. So in verse 39 of chapter 26, listen to Jesus as he's, he's burdened and he has his disciples praying for him. He knows he's about to face, face death and he says, In verse 38, then he said to them, this is such a poignant moment, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. He's going, guys, I'm wrecked. I'm just wrecked. I'm wrecked right now. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face praying, saying, Father, if it is possible, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And so what you see in Jesus is this very reality. Without it sounding like Jesus was at odds with the, with the Father, he's not. But what he's, what he's displaying to you and I is he set aside his divinity. He was fully God, fully man. But he set aside the rights, Colossians said, to walk fully in the experience of what it means to be human. So that's why I would challenge sometimes to go, well, I know that was Jesus. Well, Jesus is the one who said, the things you've seen me do, greater things that you will, you'll do greater things. Why? Because he's not going. I'm kind of sneaking a little bit of my divinity when I'm down here. And, and what you see me do, it's because I'm Jesus. No, it's not. What he's saying is, I'm showing you what's possible in relationship with the Father. You can have this relationship of dependence and power an authority if you will abide in the Father. So in the same way though, he comes to the Father in this most hurtful moment. He's like, so he's really wrestling. God, I don't wanna do this. It's, it's gonna be painful. <sighs> if there's any way you could just take this away. 
But what I want and what I trust in is your will above even my own. That's the Son of God talking. And you know that that's a reality because later, however you want to try to reinterpret this verse in chapter 27, he says, God, why have you forsaken me? He feels alone. He feels unattended to. Why have you left me to do this? Did he know? Yes, he knew this was the mission. But he felt that moment of pleading with God to please intervene and stop this. And yet God said, no, no. Because my will and my purposes, are that's what's most important. And Jesus said yes to that. Um, and so the reality is in our lives, sometimes prayers go unanswered. Sometimes there's a no simply because we have to trust that God's purposes are what we need the most in our life. Even if we don't like it and even if we could not fathom how this could ever be good, how this could ever be something God could use, we have to trust in the heart of the Father. Romans eight twenty eight, and we'll close, it, close with this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. Not for everybody, but to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. And so I have to trust that he is at work in these circumstances to accomplish what is best for me and for his purposes in what I have requested. And so I relinquish my will to his because his will and purposes are what I really need the most. So those are four answers to why, why do prayers go unanswered. And hopefully that'll be an encouragement. Maybe it'll make you challenge and dig more. I'm not sure what we're gonna think about next week, but we'll either end with a couple more dilemmas, but probably they will go, well, how do you pray then? We walk through all this stuff and how do you pray for things? We may kind of deal with that subject of how then do I pray for others in request? How do do I pray if it's so clarified? Uh, That's probably where we'll head next week. Okay, let me pray. Thank you guys for listening quickly this morning. God, thank you for your word. Use it in our lives today as we go and, and are engaged in all of the responsibilities of life. God, may we be attentive to you. May our heart be in alignment with your heart, character, and purposes in our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys.